If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to uh, Philippians 1. I was able to preach a couple messages a month or so back, and we'll be in Philippians 1. A uh, theologian named D.A. Carson tells kind of a funny story. Uh, Tells a story about, and he says, quote, "I, I, I recall a Christian some years ago who always gave the same response when he was asked the numbing vocational question. You guys have all been asked the numbing vocational question. What do you do? So invariably, he would reply, I'm a Christian. Yes, but I didn't ask your religion. I asked what you do. I'm a Christian. Well, do you mean that you are in vocational ministry? No, I'm not in vocational ministry, but I'm a Christian full time. But what do you do vocationally? Oh, vocationally. Well, I'm a Christian full time, but I pack pork to pay expenses. Now, uh, D.A. Carson, as he tells this story, kind of recognizes uh, that there's a certain uh, uh, unkindness in responding that way, right? It's, it's not really honestly answering the person's question. It's not really what that person was asking. Uh, but it brings out a very basic question about how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves, how we see our purpose. It's one thing to say, I'm a Christian, which can really means so many things. It's another thing to say that being a Christian is our job. It's why I'm here. It's what occupies me. How do you, this morning, define why you're here? I don't mean just here at Cornerstone Bible Church, but your purpose in life. Is the purpose of your life the progress of the gospel? Is the purpose of your life the progress of the gospel? In Philippians 1, verses 12 to 18, Paul encourages the, the Philippians about the gospel's progress in Rome, how the gospel's advancing in Rome, so that the Philippians would maintain their own commitment to gospel progress. And we're going to see that in, in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, this is Paul talking, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. A little surprising there. But some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Now, perhaps you could imagine uh, being the Philippian church receiving this letter from Paul. Perhaps you're a little annoyed with the Apostle Paul. Just minutes before, as that scroll was being unrolled, as you're eager to hear exactly how Paul in prison is doing, that you're eager to hear from the man who planted your church Ten, ten years ago, your first pa- pastor, a missionary who you've been supporting ever since, perhaps you're a little annoyed as you hear this, this report from Paul. Perhaps you'd be thinking, come on, Paul, tell us how you're doing. Like, it's fantastic to hear that the gospel's spreading in Rome and more and more people are telling, but how are you doing? 
Are your needs being met? Are you healthy? Can we send you anything else? And remember, they had sent uh, one of their own brothers a, a Epaphroditus to them to help serve. They brought uh, Epaphroditus when he went there. Brought financial support to them. Paul's neck was really on the chopping block. I imagine the Philippian church wanted to know as he's awaiting trial under Nero, who was a little crazy. Are you nervous? Are you nervous to see how this trial is going to go, Paul? Do you think you're going to make it? Will we ever see you again? So many things they were probably really eager to hear Paul talk about. Right? Instead, though, Paul tells them how the gospel is advancing. Now, Paul isn't being, being disingenuous in his response. It's not false humility. He's not putting a positive spin on things. Um, and now this is not picking at anyone here, but have you ever asked someone how they're doing, and they say, better than I deserve? Is that a theologically true answer? It is, right? Is that really what you're hoping to hear? No, you want to know how they're doing. We know you're doing better than you deserve. You're still alive. You're saved. Of course you're doing better than you deserve. That's, that's not what Paul's doing here. He's not just kind of giving an answer as a placeholder. When Paul tells how he's doing, he tells how the gospel is advancing. Because for Paul, these two are inseparable. His life was about gospel progress. The where and how of life were submitted, for Paul, to the exaltation of Christ. The spread of the gospel wasn't just his job. It wasn't just his vocation. It wasn't because he was called to be an apostle. It was his identity. So in this report of Paul's affairs to the Philippians... Of course he's going to start off with how the gospel's doing. It's what he cared about more than anything, the exaltation of Christ. You can hear Paul's implied exhortation to the Philippians. This is how you should be too. This is what you should care about too. And it's exactly what Paul says later in the letter. He says to them, be like me. In Philippians 3 verse 17, brethren, and really, I'm going to point out these verses because I think sometimes we can get a little, we can get confused and a little challenged as we see Paul's passion for the gospel. We can think, well, maybe it's because he's an apostle. Maybe that's not really my calling. Maybe that's just Paul. Or maybe that's just people who are called into full-time ministry. But listen to what Paul challenges the, the Philippians with in Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Follow my example and follow the example of those who walk like we do. Again, in Philippians 4, 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Again, follow my example. Do what I do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul has very similar reasoning in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 11, one. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. And there we see Paul making all of his choices for the purpose of seeing people saved. And then he says, you do the same thing. 
the Corinthians, just like the Philippians, were to follow Paul into gospel progress. That was to be their identity, their purpose, their job, the why of why they lived. So today, from Paul's example and his report to the Philippians, we're going to see four ways from Paul's example we should be engaged in gospel progress. So this is not really Paul uh, giving us a list of commands here. It's not a how-to book, and it's not an exclusive list of of everything we need to do, but it is four ways that we need to be engaged in gospel progress. We're going to see this from, from even just what Paul says about himself. In the letter already twice, we read, you know, he tells us to be like him, so then let's look at how he is so that we can be like Paul in this. It's Paul revealing his heart for us. We know that all scripture is inspired by God, and that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So as we read this, we're not going to come to a command that he says, do this. But we know that God's preserved this for our instruction. And so we're going to see how to be engaged in gospel progress like Paul was. So let's look at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren or brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. My, 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 my circumstances is is literally the things that have happened to me. And by referring to that, he's probably looking a couple years back and, and capturing his experience of the last couple years. The, 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 the riot uh, uh, in, in, in Jerusalem when he was arrested. The subsequent two-year imprisonment while he was waiting on trial. His appeal to Caesar. The trip to Rome that was followed with or, or ended in shipwreck the house arrest in Rome, his restricted freedom, his impending trial. Again, this is impending trial before Nero. All of the things that have happened to me. Now, it is interesting about Nero, the person he's going to stand before trial soon. Uh, Nero, around this time, uh, and the exact stories of how it happened uh, aren't known, uh, but uh, he killed his mom. So, like, Nero, in and, 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 and different historical accounts, he put together a boat that was rigged to, to sink. And when his mom survived that, he sent assassins to her house. Okay. So, that's who Paul's waiting trial under, right? Like, you can imagine being a little nervous for this, you know, kind of nutcase uh, to, 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 to decide whether he's going to live or die. And really, there was more at stake there, whether... Uh, uh, Christianity was going to be outlawed. So th- these things that have happened to him have turned out rather instead, it's kind of a, a, a sense of surprise here. It's not what you would expect. The things that have happened to me have turned out, that my circumstances have turned out. Nobody saw this coming. Just when it looked like the gospel was going to suffer a setback, the very opposite happens. They turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, why does Paul want them to know this? Why does he want them to know that this happens for the greater progress of the gospel? Now, surely they were eager to hear how he was doing, but instead he tells them about how the gospel was making progress, how it was advancing, that the gospel was gaining ground as if in a battle, that it was moving forward 
inch by inch, you can kind of imagine walking against a storm or a strong wind, and the gospel keeps making progress. It keeps going forward. More and more people hear. People keep getting saved. Paul tells them this because he knew that that's what they cared about. That Philippians cared about gospel progress. We, we saw it earlier in the letter that they were participants in the gospel from the first day until now. They sent Epaphroditus to him. They sent funds to Paul. And they had done this from the very first when, when, when Paul had gone there the first time. They had seen Paul as an investment. It was, Paul was like an a expedition that they had invested capital in. They were eager to see how Paul's missionary endeavors were going to work out. And surely there's an instruction here that's implied for Christians of all time. And that's the first of four ways we need to be engaged in gospel progress. We need to invest our hope in the progress of the gospel. We need to invest our hope in the progress of the gospel. If someone wanted to say something encouraging to you, would they start off the way that Paul does with the, with the Philippians? Could they say to you, do I have some news for you? The gospel is gaining ground. Would you be excited to hear that? The gospel is advancing forward. It really, if, if you're going to be excited about that, it's going to require a certain investment on your part. It's not just an investment of money or of prayer or of time. But, and, and all those things are good things to invest, money and prayer and time. But it's going to have even more buy-in from you. It's going to require that your hope is invested. That you have a sense of, of as the gospel goes forward, I'm going to be happy. A sense of ownership of, go, of gospel progress. Now, maybe some of you have felt the highs and lows of investing in the stock market. Perhaps some of you have watched your total worth shrink when the economy's not doing well, when, 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 when we're in a recession. Or maybe you've seen it grow when things are good. You've had the excitement maybe of seeing that new stock you just purchased like skyrocket. Or maybe you've known someone who was saving for retirement and all of a sudden their portfolio is not worth what it was and they can't retire and they have to keep working. The stock market can be an emotional roller coaster. And why? Like, why do we feel that thrill? Some of us who do this kind of thing feel that thrill or feel the low. It's because we're emotionally invested in it, right? Our, our hope is somehow tied to that. That's the kind of investment or picture of investment we need in the gospel. We need to have our hope linked to it. In a sense, even our happiness, our joy. Paul expected the Philippians to have their hope invested in the progress of the gospel. And from everything we know about the Philippian church, they were invested like that. They were concerned that the gospel was going to go through a recession because of Paul's imprisonment, because of the trial that he was waiting for. They were concerned that the gospel was going to be put back, be pushed back by imprisonment and from, from opposition. That the gospel, right along Paul, was going to be in chains. But Paul encouraged the, the Philippians. Their hope was not misplaced. Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He knew that, that it was going to be good news to them because of how they had invested in the gospel. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, is your hope invested in the gospel? Is your hope invested in the gospel? 
Now, there's other things we can invest in the gospel. We can invest our prayers in gospel progress. We can invest our time in gospel progress. We can invest our money in gospel progress. By God's grace, you know, what an encouraging report from, from Huey that we as a church are invested in gospel progress. But is your hope invested in gospel progress? Are you eager to hear news how the gospel is progressing in the families of your care group? In alongside those in your care group, in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods? Do you come to care group or see people at church here on Sunday eager to hear news of how the gospel is, it is progressing? How cool if we created a culture that's saying, how did the gospel progress this past week? Right? If we built an expectation that we were all involved in this gospel progress, that our hope is that you had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, that you had an open door to even talk a little bit about the hope that you have. Are you brainstorming with one another how to cultivate gospel-advancing relationships with those who don't know Christ? Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? Is gospel progress central in your hope? Now, of course, this isn't our only purpose in life. We make it our aim to please him, and this is one of many ways we can be pleasing to Christ. But gospel progress should be inseparable from our purpose to please him. Or do you desire to please Christ without caring about gospel progress? And I think that we can do that as Christians. It's not impossible. We can make it our aim to please him and yet not have our hope invested in gospel progress. For Paul, though, that was, would have been shocking. And honestly, it would have been shocking for the Philippian church to imagine being a Christian and not have my hope invested in gospel progress. That's not the New Testament picture of what a Christian is. Now, investing your hope in gospel progress may require giving up some of your other hopes. So maybe you found yourself depressed when your favorite sports team does not advance in the playoffs the way you hope them to. Okay? And maybe you've actually felt that. You know, you kind of felt down and discouraged. Your hope is in the wrong place. Maybe you're down and discouraged when you hear things about politics. When you look at the state of America and and you're discouraged and maybe even feeling a little hopeless. Maybe you're eager for that box to arrive on your door with that Amazon smile. And you're really happy for a day or three or four hours until you go back on Amazon again and wait for your next Amazon smile box to arrive. Maybe you're depressed when you look at your bank statements. Or maybe you're happy when you look at your bank statements. All of these are pictures of our hope in the wrong place. If our hope is going to be invested in the gospel, we may need to turn away from those other hopes and invest fully in this cause that Christ has recruited us to, to be a, a fisher of men. Our hope should follow, should follow our investment in the progress of the gospel, not just in the Czech Republic, although our hope is there, or, 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 or in Malaysia, and our hope is there, but here as well. So just imagine... If we, when we got together, talked about how one another are making strides for gospel progress, if that was our hope, 
Now, Paul knew that the Philippians were that kind of gospel partner, that they had invested their hope in gospel progress. And so our challenge is to say, are we going to invest in gospel progress? Are we going to invest our hope in one another's gospel progress? Are we going to raise the stakes here a little bit? Are we going to talk about, are we going to add to the kinds of things we talked about? Not just are we being refreshed with our quiet times, and then that's a great thing. Not just how's our meditations and God's word have been. Not just how's it going raising our kids. But how's it going reaching out at work? Let your hope be tied to the gospel progress of one another. And that's definitely how the Philippians felt about Paul. And Paul knew that. So he opens up this letter so encouraging. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Let's go to verse 13 here. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And here we see that the gospel was making progress in two ways. The first was through Paul's own ministry. He says that that the the Praetorian or the Imperial Guard had come to understand that Paul's change, his his imprisonments were in Christ. Now, the Imperial Guard was Nero's own own elite guards, about 9,000 soldiers. As as, As much as we know, Paul was under house arrest at this time. He had freedom to have visitors, and he was able to, to continue in gospel ministry in some extent, but under house arrest, there was a constant military presence there, probably as these 9,000 soldiers rotated through in four-hour shifts. These guards heard again and again the gospel from Paul's own mouth, but they must have been shocked by this man who was happy while in prison who was really so radically different. And they learned, and, and really they started probably talking about him. Now, I can't say that all 9,000 9, of those men heard the gospel clearly from Paul himself, but they started talking about it. And they started talking about, and so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ, and in the cause of, sounds really good there, the, the, the Greek is, so that my imprisonment in Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. All these 9,000 soldiers are hearing about this. They're talking about this strange man who is imprisoned in Christ. It was because of Christ, because he is loyal to Christ, because he is hoping in Christ. This man who is living in Christ, living for Christ, who is defined by Christ, this disciple of Jesus, disciple who talks about this Jesus who is God the Son, who is reigning in heaven, who is returning to judge. All of these 9,000 soldiers are hearing about this man who is imprisoned in Christ. So that's one reason why the Philippians had reason to rejoice here, right? The gospel was progressing because of Paul's own testimony while in prison. But even it goes even further, it says, and to everyone else. So word leaks out of the imperial guard And the rest are finding out about this too. Word is spreading in Rome that this person is in chains because of Christ. People are saying, who is this Christ? Who is this anointed one? Who is this happy prisoner who sings when he's persecuted? But 
The gospel doesn't just progress through Paul's own testimony. It says in verse 14, Most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now it says, most of the, of the brethren. Now Paul had already addressed who these brothers were. He addressed the Philippians as brothers in verse 12. And now he's talking about the Roman brothers. So these are other believers in Christ. It says most of the brothers. This is the majority of the Christians in Rome. The majority of the Christians in Rome, and, and, and I emphasize brothers, because it's not just those who are preachers. It's not just those who are gifted evangelists. These are most of the brothers. And, and it's referring to brothers and sisters there. Most of the Christians are doing what? Most of the Christians Trusting in the Lord because of my prison, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Things were changing in Rome. The believers were stirred by Paul's ministry. They were stirred by his chains. They saw the impact that he was having while in prison, so they trust in the Lord too. As it says in the ESV, they were confident in him. The idea there of trusting or being confident is that they're persuaded to the point of action. It just wasn't head knowledge. They were persuaded to do something. Now, you can trust that a sky bridge can hold your weight, right? You can know that. You can trust it's going to hold your weight. But there's a different kind of confidence when you walk over that sky bridge, right? You are persuaded by it. You are confident that you can take that sky bridge to the other side and you're going to be okay. Well, that's the kind of confidence that these Roman brothers and sisters had. They were persuaded. They thought, if the Lord blesses Paul's ministry while he's in prison, surely he's going to bless our ministry who are free. We see what trusting the Lord looks like here. It's not nebulous. They have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. They have courage, boldness, even daring. Because they trusted in the Lord, they took risks for the gospel. Boldness and courage led them to speak the word of God without fear. Concern about consequences didn't inhibit the gospel. They encouraged to speak of the coming king, of the conquering king, of the saving judge and king, Jesus Christ. Trusting in the Lord squelched the fear of repercussion. Paul knew that the recent gospel boldness in Rome should characterize those in Philippians too. The Philippians were facing the same kind of opposition that Paul was. We're going to see later in Philippians 1, verses 29 to 30. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, you saw this happen to me in Philippi, and now here to be in me. You guys are going through the same thing as me. So, of course, he's encouraging them. The Roman brothers are bold because of my chains. You should be bold too. So to engage them in this mission, Paul tells them the effect that his imprisonment had on the brothers in Rome. It wasn't enough for them to invest their hope in gospel progress. And this leads to the second way we should be engaged in gospel progress. The first is to invest our hope in in gospel progress. The second is to participate personally in speaking the gospel. To participate personally in speaking the gospel. Participate personally in speaking the gospel.
as the church heard, as the church in Rome heard what was going on with Paul's imprisonment, their confidence in the Lord led them to speak without fear. Have you personally been participating in speaking the gospel with boldness? Have you been taking risks? Have you been doing this without fear? I mean, Paul really raises the stakes here, right? Without fear. I mean, you have to have a certain kind of conviction here. You have to be persuaded to make that your temperament. That is, there's opportunity. I'm going to take it. And even, I'm going to take risks for it. Does the story of Paul stimulate you to put your confidence in the Lord as well? As you look and see, what was God accomplishing for Paul while in prison? Does that stimulate you like it did to those in Rome to take risks? What stops us from participating personally in speaking the gospel? Is it fear? What, what's it fear of? Of looking foolish? Of not having all the answers? Of being labeled? Of being rejected? Of not being liked? Or is it an unwillingness to take risks? A desire to play it safe? Maybe it's because we're more result-driven than glory-driven. We've preached the gospel before and we didn't see anyone get saved. We share the gospel with family, but they didn't receive Christ. We can't be result-driven. We need to be glory-driven. God is glorified in the proclamation of Christ. Or maybe there's some, deep down, we just distrust God's character. We don't trust him enough to take risks for the gospel. Now, I don't doubt that you came here already feeling guilty about this, Right? We spend a whole lot of our Christian lives feeling guilty that we're not speaking out about Christ. So I do want to help us to say, practically, what are some beginning steps that we can take? How can we participate personally? And the best encouragement I can give is pray for opportunity. Just be willing to do that alone. Nothing else. Just pray for opportunity. Tell the Lord you're feeble, but you're willing. You're scared, but you're willing. You're, you're not as prepared to be as you could be, but you're willing. Confess your lack of boldness and your failure to trust and beg him for something, you know, beg him for that bright shining light that says, share the gospel here. Right? Beg him for a soft pitch. You know, and, and just, just, just say, Lord, I'm weak, but I'm willing. Do that every day. And he may not give that opportunity every day, but it is amazing how quickly God will answer that prayer. The Lord is willing to answer that prayer. It is his will that you confess Christ publicly, that you make him known, that you share the good news, not bad news, the good news. So, Pray for that opportunity, but prepare for that opportunity too. If you're going to speak the gospel, you have to know it. 1 Peter 3, 14 to 15 says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Are you ready to give someone an answer for the hope that you have? Tell them why you're happy. And we're going to talk about some other ways we can show the hope that we have. But be ready to tell them. 
It's because God changed my life through Jesus Christ. God opened my eyes so that I saw that he was, that Jesus is more valuable than anything else in the universe. God opened my eyes so that I saw that I needed a savior for my, for my sins. God opened my eyes so that I put all of my hope in his resurrected son, Jesus Christ, who died to take the place of my sins. That's the gospel there, right? Be ready to share it. Be prepped to share the reason of the hope that you have. And then create opportunity by living that hope out, by living under the lordship of Christ. Live publicly under the lordship of Christ. We need to pray for opportunity. We need to prepare for the opportunity by being able to tell some of the hope that we have. And we need to create opportunity by living publicly under the lordship of Christ. And I don't mean to trumpet our horns and to say, look at me giving in the offering. Aren't I amazing? You know, the other day I was at church and uh, I gave to our mission fund. We're not talking about doing that, but to live publicly. So give public praise to the Lord for his blessings. So be a consistent Christian. Just be who you are, really. You know, if you would like to praise the Lord for the beautiful sunset or for a great tasting meal, do it whether you're around non-Christians or whether you're around Christians. Just be the same person. Don't hide who you are around non-Christians because you might seem strange. You know, do something different so that people will say, wow, they love their God. Why are they different? Love people under the lordship of Christ. Pray for opportunity to serve your neighbors and your co-workers, your lost family. Let them see that your free time is about serving others. That's what your weekends are for. Be the guy who can't wait to help someone move. Be weird so that they ask you, why are you always serving? Oh, it's because I love people, because Christ first loved me. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Find a need to meet. Like this can be a, a wonderful open door as foster parents, giving reason for the hope that you have. Why you love, because Christ first loved us. Do something that gives you the opportunity to explain your hope. You may even be serving around lost people, serving alongside them, but you have a reason why you're doing it, because God changed me, because my life is no longer my own, because I live for Christ. Say no to sinful pleasure under the lordship of Christ. Say no to sinful pleasure under the lordship of Christ. And 1 Peter 4.4 describes them, uh, and and, and all this, that they, the non-believing Gentiles, are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. They were getting made fun of because they were different. So tell others why you're not going to see a movie, right? So tell them. You know, that looked like a really engaging movie. Special effects looked awesome. But honestly, I choose not to see movies with nudity in them. Well, why? Well, because how can I do such a thing and sin against God by lusting? Right? Just be a consistent Christian. It's why you don't see those movies. So tell people why. Tell them why you're not going to binge on the most recent Netflix show. As they're like, it's taking you forever to finish that thing. Oh, you know, I love going to a church. They're, 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 I love being in God's word. Tell them the reason for the hope that you have. So this, again, is not out of pride, uh, uh, but, it's, but it's okay to be different because you really are. Let people know that you're different. Spend under the lordship of Christ. Spend your money differently. You know, everyone in America, almost everyone, tries to spend as much money as they can. You know, intentionally choose 
to not drive the best, newest car. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But make, say no to some things so that you look weird enough that people say, well, why don't you? I know you can afford that. I work right alongside you. I know you could do that. Why don't you? Well, you, you know, really, can, 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 I, can I tell you? It's, it's, it's because I choose to give to my church. I know I could afford that, but I love what my church is about. Give people reason for the hope that you have. And warn people under the lordship of Christ. Are we to love one another? Are we to only love those of the household of faith or to do good to those outside of the household of faith? Outside as well. We can't love people and not warn them, right? So as you love, warn them. Because judgment is coming. So these, I just wanted to give some practical steps. Yes, we need to pray. We need to prepare to give hope. We also need to create some opportunities by just living out what we know is true and then talking about it. By God's grace, you are a generous, sacrificial group of people. You are a loving group of people. Tell people why you are. And, 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 and all the while, be begging God for, for opportunity to share the reason for the hope that you have. Now, for many of us, I think that this is a starting point, right? It is a starting point. The goal here is pretty big. Trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. If we're going to speak the word of God without fear, if we're going to have this kind of courage, we have to have an identity that is convinced that our purpose here is about gospel progress. That God's plan for the world is gospel progress. That God wants the brothers to speak the word of God Boldly, that God wants you personally to be involved by participating and speaking about Christ, about giving God public glory. We have to have convictions that this isn't just Paul's example, but that when he says to follow his example, what should we do? We should follow his example. We have to get on board in our minds or we're never going to speak the, speak the word with boldness. These are the kinds of convictions that Paul is seeking to reinforce and to cultivate in the Philippian church. And he wants us to have these convictions reinforced in our hearts. Now, while Paul was encouraged by the boldness of the Roman saints, there was a dark side to this resurgence of gospel ministry, right? And I know if you've read through Philippians, you've been paused by this verse. And even that's kind of odd, right? A dark side to the progress of gospel ministry. And and it gets a little weird here. Philippians 1, verses 15 and 17. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, but then we're back to this dark side. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Okay, so... What's exactly going on here? Apparently, the church in Rome was dealing with fraction, uh, with, 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 with factions of some kind. They're, they're, we see wildly different motives here for the ministry that they're doing. So, first we see that Paul has, has supporters there who are preaching the gospel out of goodwill, out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. They have good motives. They recognize that God appointed Paul for the defense of the gospel. He's there not because he's done something wrong, but that he's in prison because it's God's plan and it's God's decision. It's God's means to bring him glory. Paul's orders were to glorify Christ in prison. And those orders had been issued by God himself. So out of love to Paul, some of the brothers step up. 
They fill in the gap that Paul, they do it in Rome what Paul would have been doing. They're like, our brother's in jail. We got to go out and tell the gospel because that's what he would do if he weren't in jail. They love Paul. They kind of see the, 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 the flag falling. And so they run and they grab that, that flag and they charge with it. They, they take the front of Rome in Paul's place. So that's the good side of this, right? But then there were other brothers who had far different motives. They were preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Now it says they were preaching Christ. The problem here isn't their gospel. They were proclaiming the true gospel. They were proclaiming a crucified, resurrected, and exalted Lord Jesus. Paul never says that about anyone who's preaching a wrong gospel. The problem instead is their motives out of envy and strife. Now, to go back to the illustration of, that, of the soldiers who grab the flag and charge the front, really, these are, 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 are C2 armies, right? And they're like, oh, the flag's fallen. And they think they're playing capture the flag or king of the hill, right? It's, it's, it's about getting the flag for themselves. They're competing against one another. When Paul drops the flag, they charge the hill with one eye to Christ and the other eye to Paul. Like not finding, I mean, they are motivated by him. It even says that, uh, that because of my imprisonment, they speak the word without fear. They're motivated by Paul, but uh, it says they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. They're kind of taunting him. Their motives aren't pure here. They think to cause Paul distress in his imprisonment. Now, maybe this was simple pride. Maybe there was some theological confusion leading up to this. They wanted to exalt their faction and cause Paul distress while he's in prison. Now, perhaps they viewed Paul's imprisonment kind of as as a sign of God's disapproval of his ministry, of God's discipline, perhaps, of a fallen leader. Maybe they viewed Paul as weak. Maybe they saw him as, as making the church look bad, as making Christ look bad. Oh, look, you know, if God were really blessing Paul's ministry, he wouldn't be in prison. Let's, let's show him how far off he is by bringing as much gospel success as we can, as bringing much glory to Christ as we can, better than what Paul's kind of currently doing. I imagine that they wanted to show the rightness of their cause by winning as many converts as possible. So they sense an opportunity. Paul's down. And they seize it. They want to bring glory for God, but they also want to maybe teach Paul a lesson. Now, there's lots of guesses what's, what's, what's going on here. The Bible doesn't say, and Paul doesn't get into it here. It's probably, you know, I think a, a, a good guess is there's some kind of, of, of conflict be, be, between, uh, between Jews and Gentiles in, in, in the church. Someone wasn't happy with Paul's letter to Rome, maybe, and, 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 and they're trying to take opportunity. Now, why does Paul include this here? Like, why doesn't he just leave out this kind of weird, confusing question? Wait, there's real brothers. He calls them brothers with a real gospel who are preaching out of false motives. Uh, Paul, why are we talking about this? Well, the church in Philippi was struggling with unity too. Philippians 1.27, he's going to say in a few verses later, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. 
Philippians 2, verses 2 through through 4 says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or or empty conceit. That word for selfishness there is is the same word that we see for selfish ambition in in verse 17 uh, uh, from today's passage. That they were, you know, that these false teachers were struggling with selfish ambition. Well, so were the the Philippians, you know, he, he had to urge Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony. There was some kind of, of problem, some kind of, of, of factions happening in the Philippian churches. They're struggling with unity of some kind. This is, I think, why Paul brings this up here. Paul was challenging the Philippians to pursue the advance of the gospel without selfishness. And an attitude that was displayed by some of their Roman brothers. And this really leads to our third way to be engaged in gospel progress. The first is to invest your hope in the progress of the gospel. Second is to participate personally in speaking the gospel. And the third is to proclaim Christ without selfish, without selfish ambition. Proclaim Christ without selfish ambition. Now, I'm thankful to say that it's tough to imagine uh, our having so much enmity and jealousy toward another true preacher of the gospel that we'd seek to stir up distress for them while they were imprisoned for the gospel. It's just kind of tough to, to, to imagine us doing that here. But maybe is it possible that there's seed of that same sin in the way that we view other true gospel-preaching churches. Now, I'm not talking about churches that have abandoned or that never had the true gospel. Paul says of... Uh, 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 and again here, he's talking about the true gospel. And in Galatians 1, 8 to 9, Paul talks about his attitude towards those who have a false gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So Paul has strong words for those who have a false gospel. But what about those churches who have a true gospel, but maybe... They have a different style of preaching, but they have a true gospel. A different style of worship, but they have a true gospel. A different view of the end times, but have a true gospel. Maybe different beliefs about sign gifts, but they have a true gospel. Or maybe even something as extreme as believing in infant baptism, but they have a true gospel. Now, it's natural and it's good for us to want Christians to come to our church because we're convinced by what the Bible says, because of our philosophy of ministry, because of our statement of faith. But could possibly the sudden public weakness of another popular church or a denomination or a ministry or a pastor be seen by you as an opportunity to strike? If any local church with a true gospel were to tank, would you hope to maybe that we'd profit from their loss? Maybe we're jealous of the popularity of another church, of their impact. Would we be happy for them to be knocked down a notch? Or maybe would their public success in making new converts lead us to evangelize more so that we don't get outpaced, so that their style of doing church or, or their what we believe is wrong doctrine, we're firmly convinced that's wrong doctrine, although they have the true gospel, doesn't become even more popular. So seeing their rise in popularity, would that get us off our seats to say, we got to go see some people get saved too. That church is becoming huge. See, these rivals of Paul were brothers in Christ, and yet they were characterized by envy and strife. 
Envy's jealousy, strife is quarreling and rivaling and fighting. Those are words used in Scripture to characterize those who aren't saved. In Romans 1, 28-29, it's in that list Paul describes there of those who, didn't, uh, who did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. Envy and strife are in that list. Or, or Galatians 5, 20-21 says that those who practice envy and strife uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are characteristics of those who aren't saved. And yet we as Christians and even these gospel proclaimers were guilty of envy and strife so that they could advance themselves at the cost of Paul. Really, it's got to be a warning to us. We should be challenged by this. We must hold our distinctions firmly because we believe that that's what God's word says is true. But we need to be humble in doing it. We must never confuse the essence of the gospel with other truths that we are confident are taught in God's word. The danger is real for us. It was real in Philippi. It was a real danger in Rome. Our sinful hearts can be so, become so comfortable with the gospel that Christ becomes a pawn in our power struggles. That a passion for success against others becomes equated in our hearts with gospel progress. That it becomes about us and not about Christ. That we see gospel as a means to our church becoming prominent, about us winning. Now, can God still save through gospel ministry done with false motives? Yes. But it may be in spite of our desire to be king of the hill. Maybe you've seen the same heart in yourself. Whenever you've seen someone fumble in their ministry before others. He didn't do a great job leading care group. Wow, I do so much better. You know, our hearts can, can, can be so deceitful that we, that we take this, this, this secret kind of, kind of pride at our brother's apparent misstep or, 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 or downfall. We see an opportunity to advance ourselves, to jockey for position. And the scripture is very clear. That is not characteristic of someone who is saved. And yet it's also very clear that that's what characterized these, these bold brothers who are going forward with the gospel is that they had wrong motives. So I hope that it's not true of you that when a brother or sister in Christ, another church, a different denomination loses face, that, that, that you sense a opportunity. And I think that that's Paul's warning to the church here. Our goal shouldn't be our self promotion. It shouldn't be the promotion of our certain brand of Christianity over others, though, again, we're going to hold firm to our doctrinal distinctives, and that's a good thing, but our goal should be the proclamation of Christ alone, and that's why Paul rejoices here, and really, next week, we're, we're going to finish up with that fourth point there, and it really will lead very well into our next passage, because it talks about reasons why Paul rejoices, and he rejoices when Christ is proclaimed, and he rejoices when Christ is exalted, and, and, and his whole life is for me to live as Christ. So next week we'll, we'll finish from verse 18 and, and Lord willing, go uh, to verse uh, 26. So as we finish here, we began with a story of that man who asked what he did, and he said, I'm a Christian. So we can ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a Christian? And we can answer that in many ways, right? We can define it by, by what we believe is true. 
I believe that Jesus died for my sins and he's my only hope. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who can be defined by the supernatural work of God. Someone who is elected by God the Father. Someone who is born again through the work of the Spirit. Someone for whom Christ died. A Christian can be defined by, by things we don't do. And Scripture do, does that. Describes those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God in a whole list of sins. And we also can be defined by what we do do. By the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I really do believe in Paul's understanding of what a Christian is. He would add to that. A Christian is someone who is engaged in gospel progress. It's why he says we're to follow his example. We are to be engaged in gospel progress. A Christian sees themselves as engaged in gospel progress. Have you invested your hope in gospel progress? Do you participate personally in speaking the gospel? Do you proclaim Christ without selfish ambition? Is the glory of Christ through the gospel the purpose of your being a Christian? Is that why you exist, so that Christ is proclaimed? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for your word that you've given us. And we know, Father, that the whole thing is profitable, uh, that we learn from it, we are taught from it, we are rebuked by it, we're exhorted, we're challenged. And even in this place where, where there's no commands, uh, we see from, from Paul's example, and we, we're, we're told to follow his example. And we see really the heart uh, of a man who wants your glory. A heart of a man who wants your glory. And we pray, Father, that we would uh, really understand our existence in different ways. We want to make it our aim to please you. And by God's grace, Lord, it's true of many of us that we make it our aim to please you. We want to live sanctified and holy lives. And, 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 and we want to do our work for your glory. And we want to raise our kids in, in a way that pleases you. And we want to use our, our money in a way that pleases you. We want to please you. But Father, I pray that you would help us not to leave out of that as part of our identity, that we're to be engaged in gospel progress. I pray, Father, that you would uh, help us to be personally invested in gospel progress, Lord, that that would be why we are in relationship with one another. Not, yes, Lord, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, but to hear how the gospel is advancing through our relationships with one another, Lord, that we would be invested in gospel progress through one another. I pray, Father, that you would help us, uh, that we would be sacrificing by speaking your word, Lord, that we would be taking risks, that we'd be confident, that we'd be bold, that we would see the success that others are making in gospel progress, and that we would be confident too. Lord, we pray, Father, that we would do that, not with any hint of selfishness, not with a desire to promote ourselves, to make ourselves better, not, not, not because we're trying to promote a certain kind of Christianity or, or certain uh, uh, even doctrines, Lord, but because we want to promote Christ. Father, we pray that our joy would be in seeing Christ exalted and seeing him uh, being lifted high. And Father, we know that you use that. Uh, we know you use the gospel and seeing people saved. But sometimes, Lord, it's just in the proclaiming of Christ. And so help us, Father, uh, to be people who are truly defined by Christ. So that as we come back here and here next week, that we would be able to say, for me to live is Christ. And that our existence would be subsumed in the glory of Christ. Thank you so much, Father, for this morning. I pray that you would keep uh, uh, changing us according to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.